0: Hey, I guess I'm live. <laughs> Hopefully, um, hey guys, so welcome to the Seller Geek podcast. Um, I'm calling these a prelude since we're working out the kinks. Can't see behind the camera, but two of my friends are behind here, uh, helping hi. set up and <laughs> and to drink the wine. Um, the Palm Psalm is is here, or she is. Say hi, Zoe. Say hi. She's down here taking a nap there you go. Um, tonight we are drinking Camus Charm Chambertan 2014. Um, I was really lucky. One of my clients, uh, I think it was last week. Uh, no, it was right before Christmas, two days before Christmas. I did a little house call and he was really nice and opened up one of these bottles for me and man, it is drinking perfectly on time. Um, it's drinking great right now. In my opinion, another three years, it'll be over the hill and past the peak point. So, um, I have them in my lovely Pinot Noir burgundy glasses, and, um, they are fantastic. I am a big fan of Riedel and these are Riedel glasses. Um, Maximilian Riedel is a super cool dude. He just got married too, but, um, I have lots of Riedel glasses in my house (laughs) and these are the Psalm collection. So the burgundy glasses are very large. You can actually fit an entire bottle of wine in this. Uh, believe it or not, I've tried it and it works and it doesn't get all the way to the rim. It's enough. You can still drink it. Um, I have these for the Burgundy, and then I also have Bordeaux glasses. Um, having proper glassware is always a plus with with your wines. Not saying that you don't have to, that you have to drink them out of proper glasses, um, but it is a difference um, in quality for sure. You know, if you're drinking some Booms Farm, I mean, drink it out of a plastic cup. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference But <laughs> if you get a little bit higher quality wines. And this wine is like, 50 60 75 bucks Uh, Camus is incredibly um affordable burgundy if you can find it um plus i think the label is just super cool i mean it's just like a really slick shiny black label i think it just looks like like some kind of cool cult wine out of burgundy france um let's do a little talk about what the channel is going to be about so I've had a lot of people over the years tell me that they really enjoy the way I talk about wine and um, they think that I should do a podcast or I should talk about uh, what I tell my friends about, like the one looking right over here. Um, (laughs) And I started seeing other people talk and the way the wine industry has been changing and molding and the lack of enthusiasm in this younger generation, uh, 20 to 30 year olds in the wine industry. And so I had this idea that maybe the things that really intrigued me about wines, the things that got me really interested about wine and wanting to study it and learn about it. Maybe if I share those things with other people, that maybe it'll spark some kind of interest or joy in the public. So that's kind of the reasoning behind starting this podcast is just to talk about the things that really interest uh me sparks my attention, things that I think is really cool about the wine industry, wine history, um, some things that I don't think is talked about as much is cigar and wine as well. Um, I am a cigar advocate. I do smoke cigars. So, um, there will be episodes where I'll be talking about those as well, um, as well as sake, um, different, uh, canisters of wine, canned wines, um, I'm not going to go really into non-alcoholic wines, which is becoming a trend this dry January. Obviously, I'm not celebrating dry January. (laughs) Um, Somebody I really idolize is uh, Karen McNeil. She's one that really got me into wine when I started studying and I read the wine Bible and something that she posted recently that I really agree on is to ditch dry January. (laughs) The wine industry is hurting enough. Uh, Please do not advocate to completely stop drinking a 12th out of the year. It's just, um, you know, if you want to cut back in general because it's affected your lifestyle, then that's one choice, but to completely cut out, Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not an advocate for it. So, um, I say drink more, (laughs) drink more in January. How about everybody just try to counteract all the dry Januarys and drink more during January? I think that might work out, you know, even the scale of it. Um, so those are kind of the things that the podcast is going to be about and, um, episodes. So this one and the next one I'm calling are preludes. They're us figuring out that, Tech and the equipment and the setup and everything because this is all completely new to me. I have not done a podcast before. I'm not a super techie person. I'm still the person that likes pen and paper and files, and I'm that kind of person. Um, I'm not like everything's on a USB and tidy. No. I have books, highlighters, post-its. I'm that kind of person. So for me learning about technology and how to set all this up, I needed a little bit of help with it. So we are going to do, this is the first one, and the next week is going to be another prelude of me trying to learn from my friends, who also does a podcast, um, how to do it, how to set it up, how to post Um, And then so hopefully from there, I can take the reins and do this on my own in the future. We are planning on doing a weekly hour long podcast. Um, I'm going to pick a topic and we're going to discuss it. Um, This is live, so feel free to put in comments and whatnot. um, Ask questions. I will more than likely answer your questions after the episode in a DM, um, just because I don't want to pull away from you guys and the conversation, and the topic. To cut to a question. Um, I'll try to pay attention to the stream, but um, uh, if I don't get to your question, um, I will get to you uh, in a private message to respond to whatever um concerns you might have or question about wine. Um, today I thought I would kind of give you an introduction on me and where I came from and how I started with wine and everything like that. Um, so mine really started out with uh with learning about alcohol in order to make more money in restaurants so i was a server forever and ever and around 22 23 years old is when i started working at a restaurant here in franklin tennessee nearby called copeland's if you've heard of it before it's a new or- new orleans style restaurant and it had an extensive bar <laughs> And I did not know anything about alcohol at the time. I was young. I didn't really drink alcohol unless it was extremely cheap at some party. And I had tables that asked me questions. And so any time that I had that I was dead, there was no tables, the bartenders weren't busy, I would go pick their brains about alcohol. I would write down the, the alcohols, the bourbons, the vodkas, everything. I started to learn that craft a bit. Um, when I left that restaurant, I went to work at a restaurant that, um, was in Murfreesboro, Tennessee called Fuji's Japanese Steakhouse. As you can imagine, it was like a hibachi grill, hibachi grill, sushi, everything. They did the sake bombs, um, the, uh, Sapporo's itchy, like it was just, it was Ichiban Bomb beer. Like it was very much, we, we catered to a lot of like, um, Japanese companies would come in and eat and dine. So there I got to really learn about sakes and sojus and Japanese culture as far as eating goes, because the dining was very much Japanese. It wasn't Americanized. Um, So I got to learn the Japanese dishes and stuff, really got to teach me a little bit more about um, culinary skills and a little bit outside of what I was used to. Um, And then from there, I went to a restaurant in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, called, um, B McNeil's. And at the time that I started there, it was a meat and three during the day. If you don't know what a meat and three is here in the South, it's, uh, you choose one meat and three vegetables. So you go to a restaurant and normally it'll change every day during the week and the sides pretty much stay the same, but you'll get stuff like country fried steak or fried chicken, meatloaf, um, corn pudding, like, I mean, all kinds of stuff very low price um usually around seven eight dollars for a plate so that was the kind of restaurant it was during the day and then at nighttime we come on and put on white tablecloths flatware wine glasses dimmed the lights and turned it into an elegant high-end restaurant with lovely meals dating that favorite if you are an o.g in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, you remember B. McNeil's because it used to be a date night to go there. It was a special occasion. Um, anyway, so I started working there when I was about 25 or 26 and, um, the restaurant was great. Uh, I didn't really learn about wines. It was pretty much, that's what was on there and I'm selling it. Um, but what got me was the owner said one day, so I want to get rid of all the wines that are in the restaurant to redo the wine list. I thought, oh, man, here's my chance. We're going to get some new stuff in. We're going to make more money. This is great. And she said, but we need to sell all the wine. And she had all these bottles in the cellar, like downstairs, that's not on the wine list. They were old bottles. They're wines I'd never heard of before. And I really wanted a new wine list. So... I went and I researched those bottles because I knew at that point in time that you have to learn and be knowledgeable in order to go to your tables to sell. If, if you don't know that, then if you're at a table and you don't know an answer, you're going to kill your time. You're going to have to go ask somebody else who knows answer and that person's probably going to be busy so you're going to have to wait till them not to be busy to be able to find an answer and so on. So I learned early on in the restaurant industry that I needed to be as knowledgeable as possible to be able to answer all questions at my tables and do what I called was save my steps. Um so that's what I did. I researched those wines. And when I was researching them I had so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. I was like, "So, I don't understand There's a Chardonnay, that's a white, okay, that makes sense, but there's a Chardonnay in California, and there's a Chardonnay in France, but those are two different kinds of Chardonnays, but you're planting the same thing. That made no sense to me. And then I started learning about, and it was talking about soil and climate, and these were the reasons why. And then you go deeper than that, you go into winemaking, the wine the winemaker and, and how they're doing it. Are they racking? Are they fine filtering? Uh, are they aging in oak, new oak, old oak, different kinds of wood? There are all these different variables possibilities just went on and on and on with wine. And it was just like, I fell into a rabbit hole. <laughs> it was like, uh, I have to know more. I have to know these answers. So I went out and I bought books and I started reading them and I started studying them. I had so many questions. Um, The book that I started out with was Karen McNeil's Wine Bible. And it really helped me fall in love with wine. Um, If you've never seen the book before, it is similar into the real Bible as in thickness. It's a very thick book. Um, It is a lot of pages, a lot of information covering all countries. And I read that from cover to back. It was amazing. And what I did personally was at the time, I was barely making enough money to pay my rent. I didn't have a lot of money. So what I would do is I would save up and go to the store and buy like an affordable bottle of wine from the country I was about to read. And then I'd sit at home alone in my apartment and I would read about that country and drink a wine from that country while I was doing it. And to me, that transported me to that region. I still remember reading about Germany, drinking a German wine, and imagining being able to walk down a gravel road, one side surrounded by vines, and there's a little cobblestone cottage with smoke coming out of it. You go down there, open it up, and there's just some dinky, thick wooden tables, a -a mom-and-pop place. There's an auntie in the back, and super hearty stew to go with the reasons. And that was pairing. And I could just imagine that in my mind reading this. So it wasn't just a technical book. And wine isn't technical either. There's so many other layers to it. There's sure you can get into the technicality of it, how it's made, um, the different varietals, the different clones of the varietals. Um, the grape soil, all that stuff. The things I really found interesting, the countries, the history, the whys, the changing of hands and the families through um, chateaus and wineries, even newer ones that were bought out. Like, what? That got bought for how much money? That's crazy. Looking at the conglomerates now and who they own um, is really interesting to me. Um, knowing about cult labels. Maybe somebody who's a winemaker that uh, the winery they worked at bought out, maybe they left and they went off to make another wine label. Or maybe they have so much spare time, they're making some other wine labels on the side. I mean, for example, you have um, you have uh, Joe Wagner who makes wine and he makes, I just feel good, he makes like five different labels, which is wild to me. I mean, it's so interesting. So you can really go deep in all of that. Um, the history is pretty cool with wine. There's a lot of, it's like the Kardashians, but in medieval. East. I mean, it's just crazy. It's so cool. I mean, I think it's cool. So that's kind of the reasoning I'm wanting to do the podcast is to make you guys think it's cool. <laughs> um, so, okay. Going back to the beaten Three place and reading about wines. And then I kept studying. Well, the thing with studying wines and tasting the wines that you're buying and reading about the wines is that the book cannot answer you when you have a question. So I'm looking at the book and I have all these questions while I'm reading it. And I started learning that I could drive into Nashville and go to wine tastings guided by the winemakers usually or the owners, for about $10, $15 a night. And so I would save up my money, you know, set aside and set aside my time. Sometimes I would barely get there and still be in my khakis and shirt from work. Um, The prices were so low for the tastings because they were expecting you to buy the wines, not just show up and taste them and raise your hand like a kid and ask a bunch of questions. But uh, that's what I did. And I think I got some kind of special pass over time where people thought this girl showing up is asking really interesting questions and i definitely wasn't asking normal questions other people do like i don't know do you think this would go well with a meat dish <laughs> and then the wine owner goes sure <laughs> or the wine will fish. um i was asking oh uh, do you do cold fermentation um do you do punch downs or punchovers? i'm asking all these really intricate questions to the person that can answer the question because the books i was reading couldn't answer me back when i had a question um When I did those for so long, for probably about a year I did those tastings, one of those tastings I went to was a Korbrek wine. And the owner at the time, the founder of Korbrek wine uh, was there. And his name is Dave Powell. And he was very interesting character. If you've ever heard about Dave Powell or met him, he is a very brass. Um, Anyway, he later down the road, I got an email. Saying that he was about our conversation, which was quite short with him, about he said some insulting things towards me, and I set him straight as most Southern women would. (laughs) We are um, a so he offered me a job to go work at Torbrex, which I responded, "You're crazy! You're out of your mind! You're on the other side of the world, literally the globe." Um, you're in a different hemisphere. Like I can't go all the way over there. I, I don't have the money. I, I, I just can't. I can't do it. That's crazy. You're crazy. And um, I talked to my friends and told them how crazy this guy was for saying this to me. Um, also, he let me know there was a waitlist to even work there, and I was crazy for not going and not doing it. So I heeded their advice, um, and I saved for months I mean I'm talking about like beans out of a can living by candlelight I mean I saved every penny I possibly could um so much so that I got to Australia with 20 dollars in my pocket that's all the money I had because I was going to be gone to 3 to 4 months and to make sure I had apartment come that to, because I was all by myself no parents uh at that age both had passed away and no brothers, no sisters, nobody to fall back on, nobody to, you know, let me put my stuff in a room in your house and I can come back to it and pick up, you know. It was that wasn't the scenario I had. I was completely self-sufficient. So I had to prepay all my bills um in advance. So I had a home to come back to when I came back to the States and all my bills. So that's why I only had thirty dollars in my pocket, plus paint and stuff. But um, I was so, so fortunate. so glad that I actually got to go. I learned so much. I worked an entire harvesting season there. Met so many amazing people. I'm still friends with today. I still talk to today. Um, Instagram messages, um, emails, fantastic winemakers. People that weren't winemakers. We were just friends when we were there and now have their own label. Like Riley Hubbard. You know, she started up. Um, Hubbard Wines, Hubby Wines, so that's amazing that she did that and you know there's just like amazing stuff that happened with those people. They just had great visions and just were great human beings and it was just really an amazing experience. I I cried on the plane when I came back. I was sad to leave (laughs) but you know that's kind of the idea on maybe why I might know a thing or two about Wines is I self-studied. So I read books. I studied myself. I continue to study. I read all the time on books. Um, I find a wine or I find something I don't have an answer to. I bought a wine not too long ago, an Armenian wine. And I thought, oh, I want to learn more about this. And I opened up all my wine books. There's pretty much nothing on Armenian wines. So I had to seek out a book solely written on Armenian wines to learn about them. That's another thing that's amazing about the wine world is it never ends. You're constantly learning more. You're constantly changing. The wine world's constantly changing. Now there's the wine globe going on for fermentation, which is super cool. You also have things that were old that are becoming new again, just like clothing trends or anything else. You know, for a while there, there was the hipster age and like typewriters were cool again or using an old. Polaroid camera, except they made it look like a new Polaroid camera. The whole idea of a flip phone now is cool and there's all these trends that come back and that's the same thing in the wine world as well. There's trends that come back in the champagne industry Pet Net came that. Petulant naturalant, which is really the original way of making champagne. And so that came back around. That's not a new way of making it. They came, they brought an old way of making wine back again. They just made it cool because it has Bright, vibrant colors, really artistic, graphic labels. They're making it to hopefully appeal to the younger generation. Same thing with starting wines with cans and stuff. It's hoping to appeal to younger generation. I hope y'all are drinking something. Greetings from LaGrange, Missouri. Hey, ladies. Aw, oh, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Um, so those are the kind of things that might qualify me for talking a little bit about wines. Um, I worked at a winery, uh, self-study. I also did take the Psalm exam. Um and that was interesting. It was very uh scary in a room for. of just disqualified people. Um, I do remember that there was a woman in the room that was pregnant, very pregnant, and we were blind tasting wines or breaking them down. Flavor profile. And her palate and nose was uh, the like a supernatural human being. <laughs> I was so jealous. I mean, she just was taking that exam at the right point in our life she was pregnant with hormones. She just could smell so well, You're picking up on things. We were like that. Is that in there? I yeah, I think I smell a little boys there. Yeah, I smell that, too. Yeah, a little bit of fresh grass clippings, yeah. Uh, yeah, on the back end, yeah, I on the back end, too. We were all the in the whole, we couldn't believe the smells, the taste, everything. It was like Spider-Man was in I mean, she had like supervision because could see the legs from across the room. It was amazing. Um the one that really forgot about that. class uh, was just like the start glass due to medical. <laughs> it was really amazing. Um, but I, I finished it, got my pen. Um, and when I came back, so let's see, I did the restaurants, B meals. I paused at B working there to go work in Australia. So, when I came back to the States, I went back to working at Newt This time I went back as the general manager. So, I worked there as a general manager um, for a little while. And then, you know, I just, um, my now husband made a comment to me um, one night that really made me rethink why I was staying there. And to really give me the confidence to make a jump to a more refined industry in the food industry. So I made the jump to go apply to restaurants, high-end restaurants in Nashville. Um, I got accepted to a place called Fisher Company on 12 South. Oh, I was ecstatic. Uh, had a great wine list, I got to learn about oysters and seafood and um, what a diver scallop was and there was an actual chef and a sous chef leave it um it was amazing it was so cool you around other restaurants so you got like part of the industry you know it was so cool um and probably about seven months in they sold (laughs) they they sold the restaurant the property at least and they shut it down now that restaurant was a sister restaurant to watermark restaurant so I think is no longer a thing in Nashville. It used to be. It used to be the show Nashville uh, filmed at Watermark Restaurant a lot. It was really cool. Definitely high-end. Um, I was devastated. I recently got one of those uh, notifications, and it showed that I lost my job right before my birthday. <laughs> I was devastated. I just took this huge leap of this job I had for like five years into dining and then immediately like and closed what am I gonna do how am I gonna pay my bills I was crying I was upset and I woke up with emails and text messages of other places in Nashville restaurants that were trying to poach me not poach me because I was freelance at that point I had no job but I had all these people asking for me to please come apply please come work for us I I couldn't believe they even knew who I was it just started out now, it felt like i have been doing the tastings a lot. Maybe people can that. But I felt like I was a nobody. And one of those restaurants that asked me to come work for them was one I actually applied to in the beginning. And they said they didn't have an opening. Um, and that was 360 Bistro in Bellmeat, Nashville. That was the last restaurant I ever worked at. So I went to work there. They have the second largest wine list. In all of Middle Tennessee, Blackberry Farms is number one. I really like this account because it's like a resort. Um, but it was a dream come true. uh the wine list is on an iPad or was I don't know if it is anymore. Wines everywhere, changing, high end, middle, low end. I mean, so much wine knowledge to be had. I'm studying all that, learning it, being able to taste it. People coming in and tasting at the bar. Reps and stuff coming in. The restaurant owner was great in that. You had people coming in, bringing in their own wines, and they would taste them in their own cellar. I mean, I got to taste some really amazing stuff while I worked there. I tasted a 1920s burgundy, which was not good. Pour it down the sink, it turned. It was terrible. But it was so cool that I got to even try it. <laughs> great 1960s, 50s Bordeaux. Um, first gross. I mean, I tasted some total bangers while I worked so, so gracious with the customers who now are my customers, but we're customers in the restaurant now. But I worked there for a long time and then I ended it as a I was asked by the owner to be general manager server. So I was general manager for a short um Left there, didn't want, want to work at restaurants anymore. I was like, I'm done, I'm getting older. Standing on my feet all day long working bubbles, like it's for the birds. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so I wanted a desk job. I wanted somewhere I could just sit down and stare at a screen and like file papers and just make steady income instead of up and down with tips. So I went and had a meeting um with who was the head of National Wine Alternative. And they um, uh was Holly Whaley that I met. And she said that she did not have an opening. But she did just finish building out her private wine cellar. And she asked if I would set it up for her. And I thought, great, yeah, I'll do that. I went to her house and I set that up. And that really started where I am today with the cellar geek. Is now for years and years, I've been setting up people's private wine collections in the greater Nashville area. um, I'm in all kinds of aspects setting them up, uh, consulting on maybe how to build them out, how to change them, how to fix something, what to buy, to round out their collection, um, all sorts of ins and outs of private sellers. And a lot of my clients are people that I met when I worked at that restaurant at Bell Those people who are so gracious to bring in wines and share them with me from their private collections. Now I'm in their homes and I'm in their cellars and I'm you know, handling their wines and I'm dealing with them on a one-on-one basis, not just in a restaurant. It's pretty pretty remarkable. um, The years that have gone by, how things have evolved and changed. I still set up wine cellars. I still help people. I have all kinds of clients that I help out all the time. Um, And, you know, I don't know if this podcast is maybe for them. Um, They're pretty knowledgeable in wine. Because they have the collections, and they travel the world, and they go to the wineries, and they talk to the, the owners and the wine and they're their friends, and I'm hoping this may help people who are, you know, piqued interest on wine, wondering about it, you know, what's it about maybe people who are confused when they go to wine stores, don't know what to shop for, people that may find wine intimidating. Wine is not intimidating people, okay? First off, wine comes in a bladder. You can buy wine out of a bag. You can buy wine out of a can. There's wine in kegs. Wine is not haunted. Please do not be intimidated by it. It is not intimidating. It's fun. Loving wants you to drink it. Wants you to have fun with it. Um, memories with it. Um, you did not have to learn about it to like it. Um, hopefully maybe some of these stories and things I teach you about will interest you. And um, Will get you interested in wines, and maybe to ask some questions, learn about it, taste some different stuff, get out of the normal range of stuff you might drink and taste, and try something else. Hmm. Any questions? I don't know. Um, how to work this? Oh, okay. Let's see here. <laughs> drinking a Pinot Noir. I am drinking a Pinot Noir. Listening to B McNeil's. Uh, it was a good time <laughs> um, why Australia so I don't know what I did to it now um, one asked why Australia so it was it's not like I had multiple offers from other wineries to go work for them that was the only offer <laughs> it wasn't tossing up france or italy it's not something i saw after. it's not i wasn't in a situation where i was looking to work at a winery it was just an opportunity that um that presented itself to me i wasn't even thinking about that at all um it scared me when i went there the other people that i was working side by side with uh, we all lived together so there was nine other people in a house um owned by the winery that we rented from them, from our paychecks. Um, And it was called the Ren Straw House, a lot of fun times in that house. But there were nine other people and everybody was more experienced than me. There were people from California, so they had worked in California wineries. Um, There's one guy from Canada. There was uh, three from France. Um, One was making her own selling them like a label. following that bought her wine whatever country she was in and she was making. And uh, there were two others. One was Gregory Mugiti. And Gregory was Gregory Useglio of Useglio. Like celebrity fighting. I went there and met him. It was so cool. Um, And then you had um, one from uh, Spain also um, knew about wine. Not just knowledgeable about wines, but they have worked at wineries before. I hadn't worked at a winery before. These people had a resume working at wineries. I did not. I had no experience at all, besides reading in books how wines are made. I had to learn everything at that winery from scratch. They had to teach me everything. Um, I had to learn. I had to learn. Everything. There's a lot of cleaning in wineries. <laughs> got to make sure everything's super sanitized so nothing contaminates the wine um it's funny you super sanitize everything but also we fermented in open vats which is like uh, a very large tub a big cement tub um with open air it wasn't enclosed because when you're making you a lot of you know two comes off so you have a lot of your you're gonna need that to exit into the air uh, white wines were normally done in a um, steel tank, but they had a valve at the top so, like, the gas could release out of it. Um, in the beginning stages, when there was a lot of gas, they just kept the lid open a bit so the gas could escape. But I also learned that the hard way. <laughs> I went in, we were transferring wine from one steel tank to another, which is a process called racking. Um, so we were racking the wines off of what's called the leaves, which is the dirty, grungy bits of the, the grape vines uh, and the grape juices left over. Sure, you press the wines, um, the white wines, uh, immediately bring them in, but there's still junk in there. If you if you built, if you squeeze juice out of grapes in your kitchen and you use a strainer, right? So all the big chunks and bits are not in it. And then you leave that juice in a container, uh, let's say for a day, and you come back. You're going to see a denser layer of just this, and that's called leaves. Um, So they're great for enhancing the flavor of wines. It pulls that gritty, gritty nutrients and the depth. It's fantastic. Um, But you don't want to drink it. So (laughs) you, you take the clear liquid off of the parts that's solidified at the bottom, basically. Well, I was tasked to go at the top of that ferment tank and look down in it to tell them, hey, you the levels are getting low. Start looking, you know, put your head in, start looking at it. But I'm staring down the barrel. I'm looking down in the hole. And I start saying, Whew. Oh, you guys are starting to get really lightheaded. I'm really not feeling so well. And they yelled up. They're like, Are you looking directly in the tank? I go, yeah, how else am I supposed to see where the levels are? <laughs> They're like, you need to sit down. You inhale too much CO2. You're getting high. I was like, what? I'm getting high. <laughs> They're like, you need to sit down. <laughs> and I was so lightheaded. I got drunk off of the fumes basically, but it was it was too much CO2 I was inhaling. So that was a lesson learned not to do that. <laughs> So there were definitely lessons learned working at the winery that was trial and error, um, for sure. We had three winemakers, I had winemaker and two assistants, um, all three great guys. Um, all great, and not just the staff there, but I don't know if other countries are like this. I don't know if other wine regions are like this, but this is what it was like there, in the Barossa Valley in Australia. Was we were all friends. Our winery was friends with other wineries. They also hired all the people called cellar hands, are the ones that come on during harvest to help out. And they were also from other countries and well-rounded and super knowledgeable. You can sit around a campfire and drink wine, get as deep as you want, geeking out about wines, and actually be able to conversate with someone about it. It was so laid back. It was so lovely, and so we definitely helped each other out. Wineries and drinking wine <laughs> as well. A lot of drinking going on in Australia. They're, they're very good drinkers in Australia for sure. Their livers are super strong. <laughs> but we would leave um, for You know, we worked during the day. There's a lot of wineries. You know that you have different processes on different wineries on how you want to do it. And some of them worked at night. They thought it was best for harvest right night dew on it or during cooler temperature swings behind it um and so you would be driving home from work and past the winery lights still on inside and we'd be like hey you guys need any help in there we had just worked a full eight hour day but we were still you know happy to help hop in it's late night there at that winery you know it could be like six o'clock at night or something they got you know, cheese and meat, some food sitting on a table. Here, grab a glass or some wine hanging out over there. Come help us do a punch down or we're you know we're doing a dig out. or are pumping out, this or that that they're needing help on. I'm happy to help hop in there and we'll see you to learn like, what these other wineries look like, how they operate, um, what the process is like. It's not like a, a secret or anything, but was really interesting to You know, you make friends and you party and you drink and hang out. (laughs) You know, I got to go to wineries there that were all natural. I got to see what that process was like with fruit flies and cheesecloth, And the smells were different. The process was different. You had wineries there that were sustainable. It was like half farm. They had like pigs and goats on it i mean it was so interesting so yeah if you have never been to a winery during harvest season i heavily suggest it because tasting the grape juice during during the fermentation process you can only taste out if you stop either during the fermentation process which is harvest and it's so cool i loved it i loved it, it would the wine during the whole process of grapes coming in to bottling the wine. I mean, it was so cool to be able to taste them, you know, halfway tasting them, you know. You know, it's high in sugar, but you can taste the alcohol coming in. It was very very interesting. Um let's see. Anybody else have any questions on here? I don't know what I'm clicking or doing. Oh, what's that? oh there it is so nobody else has any questions. <laughs> if y'all do, always feel free to DM me, um, ask me questions. This is something new, starting out on Instagram uh, live and Facebook live and on the podcast, um, not on the page. So that's something we want to start out was to split those two things off. Um, the Cellar Geek page is for my wine sellers, so my wine. Um, and then I have the podcast. It's going to be a weekly, hour long podcast. And then um, Zoe, who's asleep down here, <laughs> has the Palm Psalm page. And that's where I post any wine reviews I may have because um, I just feel like it's important to separate those things out. Um, They all have their own focus. My seller geek page is really focused on wine sellers and um, showing people what I do, the kind of sellers that I'm in, um, the work that I do normally so is on there. And then the other ones, you know, have their own cause for one for tasting, one for podcast. We'll see how it goes. Um, Hoping to do this uh, live. For now, um, I think the interaction is good. I always enjoy watching people's lives online. Um, a lot of time I'll cook it when I'm like in the kitchen or something cooking, and it's like, hey, I'm hanging out with this person. there in the kitchen. <laughs> and then um, also, if you don't have time to watch it live, you can obviously watch it later um, or you can listen to it in your car or something. You know, podcast um, audio will be posted after this um the youtube channel um is up but i didn't know that there's like a waiting period so right now it's in a waiting period it's not streaming live through the youtube channel but it will by next week and then we'll also post the um this video on the youtube page so you'll be able to go back and click it if you want and everything and make some Really funny comments about how I'm terrible at keeping eye contact with the camera. Maybe my eyes wander everywhere, and um, I never say words right. <laughs> I stutter, make <laughs> like, um, you know, boomerangs or jokes or whatever about me talking. Morning, so <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's um, pretty much it. This was just to give y'all an idea of where my background is. And um, why I'm being qualified to talk about wine, and what the podcast is about Um, as well. um, hope you guys ask lots of questions. If you want to hear the podcast, you you have a question about or a topic you'd like me to approach, please send it to me. You know, I'm, I'm open to suggestions and, you know, I'm doing this not just for me, but for you guys, the viewers. Hopefully, there'll be some <laughs> and listeners to this. We'll see how this goes. Um, but it will be a weekly show. So um, I hope you guys tune in. And um, that's pretty good for this first prelude. That's 45 minutes. That's uh, my whole backstory. So you guys have a great week. And um, we will see you next week, Tuesday. 7 p.m.